Because the God to whom we pray is powerful. All world religions pray, meditate, and think. But what makes Christian prayer different is because we believe what the Bible teaches is that our God is the God of this universe, triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And when we pray, he responds to those prayers. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's what we do early in the morning. It's what we do when we're sitting in traffic on the Kennedy. When you're on the CTA or your school hallway, you can pray. God has made prayer like that possible for us. So we've kicked off a series today. We titled it Three Simple Words, So We Pray. So We Pray. And the reason for that is what burdens you? Whatever it is, let it cause you to pray. I'm burdened by this or that, so we pray about it. And as we talk about fasting over the next seven days from January 7th to 14th, over those seven days, I want us to think about the things that burden us. Now, I'm burdened by the 674 homicides in Chicago this year. So we pray. I get burdened by the overpopulated and underfunded schools. So we pray. I'm burdened by racism in our society and how politics has divided not only our nation, but even the church. So we pray. We pray when loved ones are running from God. We pray when we find ourselves neck deep in a spiritual battle, tempted to abandon our faith. We pray when our hearts are growing cold to Christ and numb to the numerous ways he's blessed us. What, what, what burdens you today, friends, family? Some of you might say, we want to grow. I want to grow this year. I'm burdened by that, so pray about it. Are you tired of standing still in your spiritual journey? Are you tired of the quicksand you find yourself in? Are you, are you tired of not having any spiritual milestones? Are you tired of not growing closer to Jesus? If so, then pray. So we pray. That's what we got to do. We say often prayer is not the last resort. It's the starting point. Prayer is the starting point. Prayer is not the bailout plan. It's the battle formation. And unless I'm by myself, that deserves an amen, guys. Y'all hear with me? You guys hear with me? Yeah, all right. It's not something we do when we got nothing else to do. It's not what we do after everything else has failed. Prayer is what we go to because we need God. It's, it's our declaration of dependence upon God. Say, God, I need you so much. I can't make this thing work without you. And we stand looking at 2018 right now. And I know for me personally, when I stood here last year, I didn't know what 2017 was going to bring. The year was a lot of fun, but the year was really hard. And I, and I know for many of us, we look forward in 2018. There's nothing alarming on the radar, but things that are alarming can and might come up. So we do. So we pray. We pray. We've got to come to God. We've got to understand the power and the beauty of prayer because of the power and the beauty of our God that we pray to. And so today I want to talk about that. Uh, and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to remind us what we're going to be praying for, what we want us to pray for, and that's for one another. And uh, after I'm done with this message, we're going to hear from those who are getting baptized, and I pray that their stories would spur you on to pray and to love God more. And so in order to do that, I'm going to find myself in the book of 1 Thessalonians, in the first chapter of that book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Would you 
meet me there. First Thessalonians chapter 1, it's in the New Testament of the Bible, toward the very ending of the Bible. If you see Galatians, then it's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then 1 Thessalonians. Um, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. If you haven't got one, if you didn't bring one today, please open that one up. And if you don't have a Bible in your possession at your home or anywhere, or if you only have a digital Bible, we encourage you to get a hard copy. And if you want one, please take the one in front of you. We'd love for you to take that one as a gift home from us as the Brook family. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 to get the passage in front of our sights. And then we're going to unpack it together, all right? If you're able to, would you rise to your feet and follow with me as I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I want you to see how Paul prays, why he prays, for whom he prays. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Can you say faith? Your labor of love, say love, and steadfastness of hope, say hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone from everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, as the letter starts out in verse 1, Paul says he's writing this with Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus is another name for Silas, Paul's running mate. They were missionaries together. Paul and Silas and Timothy then have written this letter to a church in the city of Thessalonica. And that's why it's the Thessalonian letter. And we don't have time, but if we did have time, we'd turn to the book of Acts, and we'd see the story of when Paul and Silas were there with the Thessalonians. See, Paul was a man who once hated Jesus, hated the church. God met him on a road, opened his eyes to see Jesus for who he was, and from that point forward, Paul worshipped Jesus and made it his ambition to tell others about him. And he traveled throughout the Roman Empire and found himself in the city of Thessalonica, preaching to people. And what he would do is he'd go first to a synagogue, which was a place where the Jewish people would get together for, for hearing the word of God taught. And so Paul showed up in a synagogue in Thessalonica, and he begins to preach about Jesus, telling people that Jesus is the one that God had promised would come to save people from their sin, and that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And it tells us 
in the book of Acts that many people believed Paul. It says that many leading women believed Paul, that even non-Jewish people who were Greeks believed Paul. And this is a great thing there in the city of Thessalonica, but it also says then some people didn't believe Paul. And those people began to cause a commotion and rise up problems among the church there. And what happens, Paul says, is that a mob of people gathered together and tried to arrest Paul and Silas and other of these new Christians. So these people, these Thessalonians, became followers of Jesus, and no sooner that they believed, they were already pressed, and their faith was put to the test. All right? It tells us in the book of Acts that Paul and Silas had to leave the city by night because they were about to get arrested and killed. And they show up in another city called Berea. But think about this. Paul helps his church get situated, get started. We don't know how long he was exactly there, but it couldn't have been too long. And before that, he has to leave. And as he flees to another city, put yourself in his shoes. A man who began to love these people, share with them the hope of Jesus. Now they're being tested, and he's probably very concerned for them. How are these people going to get through this? What's going to happen? So what Paul does is, He picks up his papyrus and his pen, and he says, I'm going to write them a letter. And that's what we have in 1 Thessalonians. It's an endearing letter. Paul just, he's he's speaking to them like a father to his child. He's saying, I care for you guys. I love you guys. I'm hoping the best for you. And you would expect Paul to be panicked and afraid for their well-being, wondering if they're going to abandon this faith. But when we read the letter, we see something totally different. In large part, it's because Paul prayed. He prayed for them, and he had a reason to pray for them. And this is what I want us to zero our attention on there in verse 2. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul's thinking about them. He remembers the time he was hanging out at their homes, remembering the times he had dinner together, remembering the walks with them, praying with them, teaching them. And he's like, man, when I think about you guys, I'm filled with thankfulness to God, and I'm constantly mentioning you in my prayer. I'm constantly bringing you to God. What I love is Paul has no control over how they're going to do right now. He is separated from them. There's no FaceTiming for him. He, He can't drop them an email and get it there to them in that same moment. Paul has to rely on what often becomes our last resort. But for him, it's the game plan. He prayed for them. He prayed for the Thessalonians. And he says, not only did he pray, he says he's constantly mentioning them to God in prayer. This word constant means a a strenuous activity without stopping. It's the same word that Paul uses in chapter 5, verse 19 of the same book. When he says, pray without ceasing. What I love is what, what Paul's doing. He's teaching us about prayer. And church family, as we start this new year, I want us to understand what prayer is. Because a lot of times when we talk about prayer, we start guilting ourselves. You ever been there? What's the first thing you say? I don't pray enough. I should pray more. I'm such a bad person, right? I mean, this is what we do. We think, oh, if only I prayed more, things would be better. And while that may be true, we can't look at prayer in terms of amounts like that. Like there's a quota of daily prayer. Paul says pray without ceasing. 
which means prayer is not just limited to an activity, but it's a way of life. And Paul says, in this way of life of prayer, you come to mind often. I bring you before God. Family, I want us to learn to pray like this as a church, as individuals, because so many things we want to divert our attention from God. But this lifestyle of prayer is is something that we do because we know we need God, we're depending on him, and we've got nothing else. We say, God, I need you. I'm just crying out to you, God. As I go about my days, I'm sitting in traffic, as I lay in bed at night, God, I need you. This is my, my prayer without ceasing. And notice what he says, he says, they prays for them constantly. You know, prayer is it's a spiritual life dominated by the presence of God. That, that's what prayer is. The, the, the old ancients, they would talk about living life coram deo, before the face of God in Latin. And they would say, we recognize in everything we do, God's eyes are on us and our eyes are on him. That's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. When man remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. This is what prayer without ceasing is. It's saying, Jesus, you are the the vine. I'm a branch. I'm remaining attached to you so that my life could bear fruit for you. And so Paul is saying, I'm praying for you guys in my prayer life. Not just an activity. It's a way of life. And so what he's doing here, he stands in the gap for this young baby church. He's coming to God constantly because imagine all they're going through. Man, as he was leaving, they were being persecuted for their faith. There's a man named Jason, they said, who was arrested because he was helping out Christians. And this Jason was only released when money was taken from him. I mean, there's injustice going on. And Paul is leaving with that circumstance. And he's burdened for them. He left them there like like you know, like an antelope among the lions. But he's praying for them. He's not worried because he knows God has got them. Who can you stand in the gap for as 2018 comes around? Who who are people in your life that they've got nothing? They, They don't know how to pray. Maybe they're experiencing hardship. Maybe they're stuck in a rut of sin. Maybe there's things that blinded their attention from God. How can you stand in the gap for them? A lot of us like football here. Any football fans? Any Bears fans? Any happy Bears fans? Um, When you play defense in football, you have your linemen. And linemen are lined up over an offensive lineman. And between these defenders, there's a gap. And there's these positions called linebackers, and their job is to fill that gap when someone is running the ball through the hole. They've got to fill the gap to prevent the team from advancing. That's what prayer is. It's it's filling the gap for another person. That's what intercession is. It's standing in the gap for someone else. Any Rocky fans out there? Rocky's love of his life was named Adrian. You you want to say, yo, Adrian. Adrian's brother asks Rocky, what is it about her? And you remember what he tells him in in the meat packing plant? He says, she's got gaps, and I've got gaps. And together, we've got no gaps. You see, that's, that's what the church ought to do in prayer. We, we've all got gaps. The Thessalonians had gaps. They were young believers. They were suffering. 
And Paul's like, I'm going to stand in the gap in prayer for you right now. Because together we're going to line up before our God and say, we need you. And that's what prayer does. Who can you stand in the gap for this year? I love there's no, there's no, prone, there's no tone of panic here for Paul. Because he's acknowledging God's handiwork in their lives. He said, God, you got them going here, and you who began a good work, I know you'll complete it. But I'm going to be praying to you, to God, for you guys like it's nobody's business. I want that to be the kind of thing that spurs us on to pray. Don't, don't let guilt be the driving factor. God would love me more if I prayed more. That's not even true. God's love is perfect. God wants you to pray more because he wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is communion with him. So let that be what drives you. Say, God, I want more of you. That's what Paul does for the Thessalonians. He's praying for them. But there's a second thing he does that I think is so cool. Because he's not only praying for them, but what's driving him to pray for them is the memory of them. He says, I I had to leave in a hurry. But when I think back on our friendship, I'm just spurred on to pray for you. Why? Because of what I saw with you. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, I'm remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. He says, I remember three qualities among you that when I pray, it just fills my heart with thanksgiving. Your faith, your love, and your hope. A lot of times we got to do some reflection to lead to intercession. Reflecting on what God is doing in other people's lives in order for us then to be praying for those people. It's easy for our prayer lives to become very self-focused, isn't it? Praying for me, 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 me. And we need to be praying for ourselves. No, we don't. Paul's like, hey, let's turn that thing outward. And by outward, you got to think about others. And Paul says, I remember your work of faith, he says there in verse 2, verse 3. Your work of faith. Basically saying, I see your faith working. See, James in James 2 says, faith without works is dead. Not to say that works creates faith, but works demonstrates the genuineness of faith. And Paul says, when we were with you, we saw genuine faith because we saw it working. We saw God doing things among you. I mentioned that gym membership earlier today. And some of you guys got gym memberships with me. Some of you had gym memberships. But the authenticity of your gym membership, commitment, will not be measured by the sincerity of your words. You hear me? The the genuineness of your commitment to the gym doesn't matter how sincere your words are, but it's how often we go. But don't keep me accountable, folks. And the same is with the Christian faith. Faith that works is a kind of faith that doesn't just talk about faith. It doesn't just line up our theological ducks in a row, which you ought to do, but don't limit it to that faith knows what we believe, and then knows how to live. It's faith with works. Not to say the faith that is demonstrated by our words, we are called to bear fruit ultimately. And Paul says, I saw the eagerness of your life to put your faith into action, your work of faith. And the memory of that, me remembering that, causes me to be spurred on with thanksgiving when I pray for you. And there might be some people in your life that you have to think about, you see what God is doing in their life, and pray for them because you're thankful and you see their faith put to work. But he says the second thing. He says, also I see, I remember your labor of love. And I love how Paul says that because love is laborious, isn't it? I mean, love doesn't come naturally 
for any of us. And if you say it does for you, then lying comes naturally for you. No, but the truth of the matter is, love takes work. Love is hard work. And and if when you become a Christian, and some of us today uh, maybe are not there yet, we're like, I'm still trying to figure this out. You need to know that we're not making false promises. When you become a Christian, love doesn't become easy all of a sudden. Now, love now has new motivations because you know how you've been loved by God. Love has new empowerment because God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you, changing you. But it's still a labor to love. And Jesus tells us you can love your you can love I mean your friends. Even the wicked people love their buddies. But what about your enemies? Paul says, I remember you guys loving like work, like, like like laborious loving of each other. Those who get on your nerves. Your boss who exacts so much of you with no thanks. Paul says, I remember that. The work of faith, the labor of love, but also the steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. They remember, Paul remembers them, he sees them, that they hoped in Jesus is coming back. And what I love here, family, is that Paul says these things are the things that spur on his prayer life for them. So who are you praying for? Who are you praying for and how will you pray for them? What Paul does here, he looks beyond himself in praying for the church of Thessalonica. And so we're burdened for other people, so we pray. So we pray. The last thing I want to point out here, we won't have time to unpack verses 5 through 10, but what Paul says is, he says, when we were there, when we preached, God's word didn't come back void. We saw him changing your lives. And then he makes this great statement, I think it's in verse 8 or 9. He says, people began to find out how you turn from idols and turn to the living God. And idols don't have to be stone and gold figures, although it was that oftentimes in the first century. But idols are the things that divert our attention away from God. They're the things that our lives revolve around. It could be our jobs. It could be a relationship. It could be money. It could be kids. It could be sports. It could be hobbies. It could be video games. It could be movies. I mean, what, what is it that your life revolves around? It could be food. It could be leisure. It could be sleep. Yet some of these things, and most of them are all good things, but they can't become God things because they become bad things. That's idolatry. And so what, what Paul is saying here, and I'm going to wrap this up here. Paul says, man, when I was with the Thessalonians and we preached, we saw God change their lives. And we, although we had to leave in a hurry, my remembering of them and what I'm hearing after we left is causing me to pray for them. And thanking God for changing their lives. So he's acknowledging God's handiwork in their lives and praying for more of it. And their handy and God's handiwork in their lives is, is causing Paul to be filled with gratitude and prayer. I know some of us here today are looking at this new year and we're thinking, man, I need to get right with God. I need to get right with God. And what I would say is this: start with where your perspective is. Set your eyes on Jesus. And then also let God expose in your hearts, what are your idols? What are the things in your heart that are steering you away from Jesus? Maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you know your heart's been divided. And you've been kind of half-hearted in your faith. But let the example of the Thessalonians, their faith put to work, their labor of love and their steadfast hope in Jesus, be the thing that you pray for for yourself. 
And maybe there's others in your life you see who are struggling, and you got to say, God, I want to pray those things for them. That, that this brother of mine, this sister of mine would have a faith that's put to work. That they would labor in love and not give up. That they would have a steadfast hope in you no matter what kind of hardships they're facing. And still there are others of us here who don't know Jesus and have never put our faith in him but are trying to figure this out. You've got to see what Jesus did is he went to that cross to die for you. And you are now forgiven when you put your faith in him. This is the hope of the good news of Jesus. That you become a child of God. And so what's going to happen in a moment here, I'm going to invite up six people who are going to tell you this very thing that God has done in their lives. Ultimately, they may not use this language, but how they turn from idols to serve the living God. People that God is beginning to work faith in them and put their faith to work. People that God is teaching to love, to hope in him. And before I invite up the six of you who are getting baptized today, I want to say a word to everybody about that. Um, Baptism Sundays are our highlight, I think, oftentimes in our year. But you must understand that the people who get in that water behind me are not perfect people. The Thessalonians weren't perfect people. Paul was not a perfect apostle. Nor are we saying that by entering this water, then they are under a new microscope that all of us can start judging by. That's just not how it works. Baptism is an opportunity, and they'll tell you this, for them to make public their faith and see what Jesus has done in their lives. Jesus says, when he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to be baptized, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Baptism is required for anybody who's a Christian. For any, any of us who are followers of Jesus, God commands you to be baptized. And so these six men and women and young people are saying, Jesus, we want to obey you today. And we are going to step foot in that water. The other thing I want us to know is what baptism means or what it doesn't mean. Baptism is now what cleanses them. That water is now what cleanses them. It's cold. They'll, they'll become physically cleaner, but they won't become spiritually cleaner by that water. There's no magic in that water. But there is something sweet about the faith that entering that water is testifying to. See, we become a follower of Jesus. We become a Christian adopted in God's family when we believe. And then we get baptized to tell others that we've made that decision. So the people getting baptized today are coming to tell people that they're following Jesus. And I'm excited. I'm excited to have them. We've got three adults, a youth, and two children today coming to get baptized. Yes. You're going to hear a snippet of their, of their faith today, a snippet. Um, those of us in the baptism class got to hear more of their faith. But as part of this, uh, I want you to listen in. Because some of you today are going to hear their story and say, that's me today. Or that's where I want to be. Um, one of the people getting baptized was, today was talking about how last year for baptism, uh, they were here watching others getting baptized, and God used that to draw them closer to Jesus and to put them on a trajectory to follow him over this past year. And that might be where you're at today. God might use this to convict you of your need for Jesus, of your sin, and call you to put your faith in him. So without any more, I want to invite up uh, Nathan and Liz Munoz, uh, Lumari Valentin, Gio Oyola, 
Gabriel Pacheco and Keziah Rivera. Come on up. Pretty nervous. You, you got to know, man. It's been a pleasure for me to, to just walk with them, even over these last oh, month, month and a half. Uh, I've got to, to read over their their testimonies as they're sharing with you today. Uh, we got to talk through things. We've got to challenge one another in our lives, um, and we know that for many of them, the days and weeks leading up today, I'm sure there's been a lot of up and down. There's been some spiritual attack. The enemy doesn't want this moment to happen, um, but he couldn't stop it. It's here. And um, and we pray that you're encouraged today. If you know Jesus today, would you just worship him as you hear what he's done in people's lives? And if you don't know him, listen in to see what he could do in your life. Nathan, would you share with us what God has done for you? person with doubts, questions, just going through the motions and living each day as if tomorrow is promised to me. I thought by just attending church on Sundays and being part of a youth group was enough, but I was only fooling myself. About four and a half years ago, it took one false email from an unknown person that completely broke me down to an all-time low. It jeopardized my job and could have changed my life for possibly the worst. That night, I broke down and cried out to Jesus asking for forgiveness of my sins for strength and guidance, and finally accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was overcome at that moment by all that my father, Noel, has shared with me throughout the years growing up about getting right with God um, and just realized that it was Jesus working through him the entire time. The next couple of weeks, everything fell into place, and the situation at work was found to be false, thank God. And life as I knew it was now changed by my belief that Jesus died for our sins or my sins and that I had finally chosen to follow him with my life. My relationship with Christ has helped me to become a better husband, a son, and he's also provided us, uh, both my wife and myself, abundantly, especially with the home and career. But what I'm most thankful for is that he brought my family, not only myself, but my family and I to the brook and, uh, and has provided for us uh, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ that we've come to know and love and will continue to grow with. It's also a special shout-out to my mom, Claire R.C., I'm grateful uh, to close out the year 2017 together with my wife, Liz, my cousin, Umaris, my two new Christian brothers, and my Christian sister, Gio, Keziah, and Gabriel, publicly declaring we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus and have a new life in Christ. Hello, I'm Liz. <laughs> the majority of my life, I grew up in the church. Back then, it was the norm for Sundays. It was the chance to see my cousins and friends, to hang out and catch up. When I started working retail, I felt myself drifting more away from the church. I was making excuses on why I couldn't attend or become more involved, but in all honesty, I was afraid to get out of my comfort zone and attend a new church. I was lacking the fire I desired for the Lord, and that's when I knew I needed to change. There has been many bumps along the road, but Christ has always welcomed me back with open arms. I want to take the steps to be baptized for myself and as a symbol to my family and friends that I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I will continue to follow and walk with him always. 
As I continue my journey, I know I have a lot more to learn, but I know and trust that God is a faithful teacher through all things, and I'm thankful for the encouragement and guidance set by my husband, family, and friends. Finally, I would like to end with this verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. or Lumi, Adrian's cousin. Um, so a little bit about my background. I grew up in both um, Catholic and Pentecostal church, depending on which parent I was with on Sunday. Um, so I grew up Christian. I always believed in God, but I never felt connected to God. He was never part of my day-to-day life. And then in high school and college, I drifted away completely, occasionally going to church, um, made some poor choices. But it's nice to know that God always welcomes you back. Um, And it wasn't until a few years ago that I accepted Jesus and started to maybe listen to the sermons and let him speak to me. Um, So then I started to go down this path of salvation, and I I enjoy coming to church. So that's a good. Um, And like Pastor Eric said, I was that person that um, in January 2017 was encouraged to see other people up here and listening to their stories really impacted me. And I thought, well, they have a similar path, so I can do it too. So there's a verse in Galatians that sums up um, all the areas that I'm maturing in, and it's Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I guess against such things there is no law. And those those are all characteristics of a Christian that I feel like I'm still working on, but I'm growing in. So it's time to reaffirm my faith through baptism and that Jesus died for, uh, for my sins. As a little kid, I began, I began having dreams where God would talk to me. No one in my family believed in Jesus at the time. So whenever I asked questions, I never got a straight answer. Around the age of seven, I started to feel a stronger tug in my heart to know God. I started learning stories of the Bible through dreams and books. I felt God's love for me, and I felt it as a peaceful feeling. I also had a Jesus toy. I recited scriptures. My favorite scriptures were John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Also, Mark 12.30-31, Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I felt God's love strong for me. When do I want to love him more? After years of asking my parents to bring me to church, they finally did. I was able to hear the gospel in a clear way. I realized and understood I was born into sin and that I was a sinner. As hard as I tried to be good, I wasn't always good at that. My heart was filled with love and joy after understanding that Jesus died for me so that I can have life. That Jesus, oh, sorry. I am so grateful to God, and to this day, he still talks to me through the Holy Spirit. Whenever I'm in the middle of a situation, I go to him for help, and he helps me every single time. And I know I can count on him and that he is not going anywhere. God opens many opportunities for me to invite my friends to church or to talk to them about him and how he loves them. And I take those chances as much as I can. 
Today I want to be baptized so the world will know that I love and follow Jesus and for those of you wondering, I shall be doing the same. a Christian, wait, no, I go to a Christian school, and the first day after Bible class each year, the teacher would tell us the gospel, then tell us to pray silently if you wanted to accept him, and I did it every year. Now I realize that I don't have to do it anymore, because once I accept Jesus, God is my father forever. Nothing can change that. When I was three years old, my mom had to explain to me that I was a sinner. I did not believe her, so she showed me the Ten Commandments and explained them to me. I realized I had broken almost all of them. <laughs> and soon after that, I realized I needed a Savior. I know Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins, and I know that if he didn't, that I would still be in darkness. I love Jesus, and he is my Lord and Savior. He helps me to love others, honor my parents, and he gives me joy. I want to be baptized to tell everyone that I want to follow Jesus and live for him. Hi, my name is Keziah, and I grew up in a church family and trusted in Jesus as my Savior at four or five years old, and I'm still growing in my faith today. Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins, and God will always be with me no matter what happens. He will always love me no matter what happens. He is the amazing God who created everything in the universe, so I should worship him. I want to be baptized because I want to proclaim my faith in God and be the salt and light of the world. Well, there you have it. The snippet of what God has done in each of their lives. If you notice a common thread here, faith in Jesus is something we've got to do. We've got to believe in him. Um, while many of them, in fact, all of them have a church background, we all know being at a church building, remember the church is not the building, it's the people, but that's not what saves us. There has to come a point where we understand that Jesus died for me, for our sins. And for each of them, it was a little different, but God has brought them all to that point of faith, whether they remember the exact point or not. But they do believe. And uh, some of you today, if you've, you've never made that decision to follow, to believe, maybe you've been around Christian settings for a while, don't assume that makes you a Christian. We call you to put your faith in Jesus just as they have. And see what God will do in your lives. I think they'll all say life has not become easy, um, but God is always good. And he walks with us through those journeys. I want to pray for the six of them. And during that time, our worship team is going to come up. And what's going to happen is, during our time of singing here, we're going to enter the waters of baptism. And what we want you to do, we want you to sing to our God, to worship him, to thank him for all he's done in their lives, in your life. But I also want us to celebrate, all right? I want us to cheer. I want us to rejoice um, in what God has done in people's lives. These are miracles on the stage here in front of you. These are, these are six miracles when God takes someone who is an enemy of him and brings them into his family. 
And so we want to cheer and praise God for having done that. So if you can, would you bow with me as I pray? Lord, I am just overjoyed this morning, God, to be here on the stage with Nathan and Liz and Lumi and Gio and Gabriel and Keziah. Father, my heart is just overjoyed, God, by the initiative each of them have taken into pursuing baptism, the initiative they've taken to write out their testimonies and ultimately their desire to have everyone here today know that you've transformed them by the blood of Jesus and his resurrection. So, God, I pray that as we enter these waters of baptism, that you would get all the glory, God. All of it, God. Because you are the one who turns us from idols. You are the one who establishes faith, teaches us to love, gives us hope. And so, Father, may even this morning, these baptisms spur us on in our faith and in our prayer. We bring these things before you in the name of Jesus. And would you rise to your feet? And uh, those who are getting baptized, you can head off to the back of the room. Those who will be baptizing them, you can join them there. Uh, we have at the brook, what we do is two people always join them in the baptismal waters. And there are two people who, uh, either one's a leader of the church or another who's walked with them in some way in their spiritual life. And uh, it's something that we just enjoy having take place. So let's sing, guys. Let's sing to our God. Let's give him glory. Let's give him praise. All he's done.